Hello, friends. It's Kirk Henderson coming to you for the second straight day. I know you're very excited to hear me again. I am joined by our, he's no longer our newest staff writer, uh, Ryan Mainville. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. I'm ready for the draft to be over, and I'm ready to see the end of this week. This is, this is yeah, that's kind of, you know, Josh and I talked for 15 minutes last night, and I forgot uh, about, like, trade options that were on the table. That's how much I was, like, kind of dreading the week. And, I you know, the way this draft has gone on and on and on and on, it, it really is, you know, it, I've talked myself into, like, five different guys at this point and i'm sure people who do this like you who really like sink their teeth into it are ready to be done with it so for those who don't know ryan ryan joined our staff um right before the bubble restarted and he has been a boon really enjoy reading what he writes about the mavericks and he also brings um a draft perspective which is something that as our staff has slowly aged into decrepancy uh, no longer has like the the brains for. Uh, Ryan also is a staff writer at the Texas Tech Daily Newspaper. What is it called? The Daily Torreader. Daily Torreader. Okay, I read it out loud and I was like, is that really how you say it? And I didn't want to. <laughs> That's okay. So let's just kind of get right into it because there was something that was posted, um, I don't know, earlier this afternoon. It was this, this Twitter handle, at Sloan Imperative, and these folks, you know, the, these folks who do these big draft, you know, draft Twitter is like a weird subculture and I love it to death, but there's always a lot going on. There's a lot of people that really love to grind out tape and, you know, really become sort of experts in so much as we can become experts about players uh, by watching tape and, you know, with, with the publicly available information and, you know, during a pandemic that, you know, is kind of difficult, but it is what it is. And there were 56 people that turned in individual board, uh, big boards, which were, how do you define a big board? Like, is it your, like what you would consider the, 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 the ranking of players? Yeah. So a big board is your personal ranking of one through however many you want to do. I usually do one through 60 just cause it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to go beyond that. But I know some people go far beyond that. And then mock drafts is usually when you begin to incorporate team needs and other things like that. And what's actually realistic. So this is so this is really kind of a pure what I or in in this case the fifty six people who turned in boards feel about a player and the reason I I'm glad it came up because you know we're gonna get to Mavs people in a minute but I, I'm gonna link to this in in the podcast I'm gonna link to this in the post I'm gonna retweet it a little bit later this was wild to look at because there are guys. The, they ranked as many as 100 people kind of across the board, but they showed they, they share screenshots of the top top 75 people. I just did air quotes like somebody can see me. And it, it's really absolutely bananas. And, uh, you know, I wanted to punt to you real quick. Who, you know, looking at this board, who were the players that you were surprised about, like the level of variance? Because when I say it's bananas, what I really mean is that you're seeing guys from these 56 boards kind of going all over the place, which, you know, says to me, it's a good example of just the level of kind of chaos that's going on that could go on in this draft based off of talent evaluations. Yeah, there's some pretty crazy ranges here. I think the first thing I saw that made me almost lose my mind was somebody had Grant Riller ranked number one. (laughs) He's like a 23 year old guard out of Charleston. And I know that he's kind of become like the baby of draft Twitter over the past few months, but 
that's pretty mind blowing to me. I see Cole Anthony at 73 for his low Anthony Edwards at 48 for his low. I mean, some of these are pretty interesting to me and definitely can evoke uh, an opinion out of me. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking through some of these and, and, you know, we started covering the draft at Mavs Moneyball. When I say we, I mean, essentially you, Lauren and Ian and occasionally Matt, because the rest of us just don't know what we're talking about. And it's really funny looking through some of these guys, like, like I've been hearing about Nico Mannion for years and I, I, it's really a riot to see him still all over the board in the sense that someone had him at 17 and then someone had him at 71, <laughs> which is just kind of indicative of what's, of what's happening here. And then you have your guy, uh, you know, you're, you're a, a Texas tech guy. You have, uh, how do you say uh, Ramsey's first name? Jemias. Jemias Ramsey, who is another guy that just has this absolutely crazy variance for people because it, I just don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days because there's so the, even among the top 30 to top 40, you see guys that are ranked, you know, from, from one to 70 and, and LaMelo ball, who's the closest thing to a consensus has a, you know, a range of one to 13. Now he's not going to escape like top five. That just won't happen. Somebody will trade up and do something for him. But this is just, if, if we could have picked a worse draft, to have like an extra five months to, to stare at. I can't think of one. It's probably maybe like the 2000 draft when Kenyon Martin went like number one overall. I mean, it, it's no one knows what to do with any of these players. Um, it, it's really something. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like, I'm going to share it. And we're going to talk like, you know, we can talk about it as we go on with some of the specific players that I want to at least, you know, gauge your opinion on, but it's just so it's, it's so odd. So you're, you're, you know, what you've been telling me is you're, you're kind of done looking at these players. <laughs> you just want to move on to the next group. Yeah. I'm essentially tired of it. And like this, this thing that we're looking at right now is like the perfect example of what happens when you have too much time on your hands mm. and you really start overthinking things. And so I've really tried to, just step back and feel like I at least have some sort of my mind made up, even though like I decided that the week of the draft, but still I'm just trying not to touch it based on anything I hear or anything I see. I'm just going to try and go with my gut and keep it the way it is now. Sure. Sure. Well, let's, you know, pivot then to talking about the Mavericks specifically. So I want to kind of ask you, let's just go ahead with the assumption that the Mavericks are going to draft both players uh, are players at both 18 and 31. So I'm going to ask you two questions about each pick. First, who do you want the Mavericks to take with 18 overall? Yeah, 18. It's been Desmond Bain since about May. I have him 13th on my board right now. I think he checks almost every box in terms of what the Mavericks need out of a draft prospect. Uh, yeah, I'm just sold on him. He's ready to be put in an NBA lineup like right now, which helps his draft stock. And then at 31, I have them taking Tyler Bay right now, who is a defensive-minded wing-power forward out of Colorado. Okay, okay. So let's go with Bain first. I want to talk about him for a second. Keep in mind, I only know what you've what I've edited you on. I really don't – I just don't have the bandwidth to do this anymore. 
I, I fall into these pits. This is what happened to me with Luca in the 2018 draft where I knew an unbelievable amount with guys and I did I just can't do that because it's really addictive. I can see why these draft guys get into it because you're just you're talking about what can a guy do. So with with a guy like Bain, he's a little older. He's 22. He played at TCU for a while. Uh, I think it was it was you know our our, our editor Josh Bow made made a comment of you know would he have been a bigger star if he's at a at a bigger school? What? Why is he where he is in this draft range? Because it feels like to me, just looking at what he does with the level of uncertainty that he should be higher, like 13 where you have him, but he's probably not going anywhere before 15. Yeah. So it's kind of ironic that we're talking about him as like an 18th overall prospect, because for the majority of, I guess the off season or since the college basketball season abruptly ended, he was widely considered a second round project. And then something happened in like April or May where he just began to shoot up boards. And I like to give my friend Mavs draft credit for that because Richard has been high on him for years now. And yes, he has, you know, mm-hmm. being a big, being a big 12 guy myself, I, I've seen Bane a couple of times and I've seen him in person once and I'm just really sold on his shot. And I think that, people are sold on it too because it's a very versatile part of his game. Like we're talking about, like there's a guy like Aaron Nesmith in this draft who mm-hmm. is a really, really good shooter, but he doesn't do much else. But then Bain is a really good creator. He's really tough on defense and can switch one through four. He's like, he's going to be great as a secondary creator, but he can also play on the wing. So I think that he just has a lot of tools and he's he's 22. So he's going to be ready to go. He's a plug and play guy. Like no matter who you put him beside, he's going to end up being a really good player, I think. So where, you know, let's put you in the role of Rick Carlisle. Let's say the Mavericks take him at 18. Where does he fit in the the rotation or the lineup? Because I'm, I know like we're trending towards positionless basketball, but they're still, you know, guard, guard, wing, wing. And I've, I've, I've read some kind of varying reports in the sense of he's about 6'5", but his wingspan is probably less than that, which, you know, causes some potential defensive problems, even though he's, he's built like a Greek god. Um, what, where does he play w- within the Mavericks, let's just say, by midseason, you know, once he's earned Carlisle's trust? What, do you kinda, what would you envision for him? Yeah, I think he'd be a really good high-end rotation player. I think it's interesting because so good next to Luca, which is beginning to feel redundant to say because that's true <laughs> for everyone. But I really do because he has this ability to facilitate offense but also shoot. And so I'm not really sure what he would look like uh, playing alongside a guy like DeLon or maybe Jalen Brunson because I'm of the opinion that Jalen Brunson is actually best as not creating the offense and not running the offense. So maybe him and Bain could split that. And I don't really want to think what he would look like beside DeLong because I hope he's not on the roster by the time the season starts. But yeah, I think he'd just be a really good combo guard who can run the offense in spurts and also be off ball if they take another guard or if they want to run the offense through Brunson. It's really interesting. I, I, I seem to have been most surprised by his passing, but one thing, you know, you, you, you talked about his shooting earlier and 
you know, you wrote a post for us about three weeks ago, which drew like 70 comments from, from our ridiculous fan base. Um, I, I love all of you people, by the way, who seem to kind of not understand the value of open shots in the NBA. Uh, you're talking about a guy. So, so can you try to put into context with me, his level of shooting compared to what the Mavericks had last season? I, it's kind of a tough question to ask. I know without like data in front of you, but would he be, you know, like a top three shooter on the Mavs, like immediately. Yeah. So I love this question because I was actually looking at this today when I was digging into Bogdan Bogdanovich's numbers and the Mavericks had, I believe five guys who took at least 99 catch and shoot threes last season. And I think all of them, except for KP shot them above 37% with Seth shooting them at like a 48% clip or something ridiculous. And so obviously like that's that's Luca's offense that's generating that for the most part and that's generating those looks. And Bane's a pretty good stationary shooter, but I also think he's a really good movement shooter, which is a really underrated aspect to have in an offense like this because we're talking about like Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney Smith leading the league and catch and shoot three numbers, which I, I know that those guys are fan favorites, but there's absolutely no reason that they should be putting up those numbers. <laughs> right. So adding like, a guy who can put. Yeah. And so adding a guy that can put it. <laughs> right. And having a guy who can put it on the floor when somebody's closing out and then take the shot, it just adds another element. And it's, it's really dangerous. Like here, I'm looking at a synergy right now and he was in the 92nd percentile of jump shots off the dribble. So he's just a ridiculously versatile shooter. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been a Poku guy mainly because I think I, I just love the, the outrageousness of how he plays, but I, I don't think it's a realistic pick. And my, my second choice has been Bane for a while. So I'm going to be very irritated if they pass on him at 18. Uh, the other guy you mentioned was Tyler Bay at 31, and this is who you think the Mavericks should draft if he's if he's there. So why? Let me ask you kind of a pair of questions. First, why would he be available at 31, and then why do you like him as a fit? Yeah, so he'd be there at 31 because his offense is still a bit of a work in progress. I think he shot below 33 percent from three last year. Oh, no, here's what it is. I got a stat profile up. He shot 41% from three last year, but he only took one three a game. And so his <laughs> okay. offense is a right. little bit, it's a little bit lacking. Like, I think he has three and D potential because his shot is actually pretty nice. It looks good, but I'm not really sold on volume. So he's very strong defensively, but the offense is definitely a work in progress. He kind of reminds me of Matisse Thibel, and that's, a scary thing to say out loud because Thibel quite frankly stunk on offense this year. Yes. And I'm not sure I want a guy like that on the Mavericks, but Bay was like insanely talented on defense. I think he won Pac-12 defensive player of the year last year too. He's just an absolute disruptor. And I, I, re- I would really like him on the wing. That's really, that's really something I, it's tough because that 31 pick is I don't want to say it's the more valuable of the two because that's just not not the case when you look at how drafts actually function. But it's a very interesting pick for the Mavericks, and and I I I'm going to be very very intrigued to see what they do 
with that option because that's the pick for for people who don't remember the first round picks are locked into sort of a salary scale it's not sort of it is a salary scale second round picks you have a little more flexibility with what you can sign them to and how long you can sign them to contract which is why Jalen Brunson is so valuable in terms of like a paper asset because he makes 1.4 million for the next two seasons, something like that. And he is a guard who can, you know, occasionally cheat and play spot minutes for you. So understanding, you know, that's who you want the Mavericks to draft. What do you, based on, you know, kind of who you've talked to, because, you know, you've talked to lots of different draft folks who have Intel and, you know, what you've been able to suss out over the last, I don't know, month, who do you think they're actually interested in? I think if they don't draft a wing, then they won't they won't keep the pick. Like I, I'm struggling okay. so badly to see them playing in minutes, whoever they draft at 31 or whoever they draft for another team at 31. But there's a slew of wings here. Like Tyler Bay will be there. Robert Woodard, who I covered the other day, will be there. Elijah Hughes, who is a really, really good offensive player. I know Mavs Draft has him like 12 on his board right now. He'll be there. Um, Jordan Nawara will be there. He's another good offensive player. So they'll have plenty of wings there. But this draft is really hard because we also don't know who the best available player will be left on the board come draft night. And if it's, say, like a guy like Jamias Ramsey, who has a lot of offensive potential but still needs some defensive work, like, I think they'd probably gamble on him and throw him in the lineup and hope for the best. Sure, sure. And that's what makes these sort of things just, it's so chaotic with what we have coming, you know, in the next uh, 96 hours. Because on the one hand, you can look at at kind of the Maverick history and say, ah, you know, they just, they don't really care about the draft. You know, it's just, why are we really focusing on this this much? And we get a lot of this in our comments and from people online and from Facebook. I've just seen it all. But then I, I just, I'm tempted to remind people that in the playoffs, the Mavericks played four undrafted guys, four, in a seven and a half person rotation once, you know, Porzingis went down. So this is really the last opportunity you know, they, they have a draft pick in 2023. Yes. No, eh, no, they 2022. 22. They have one in the, in the yeah. double draft because they, the Knicks are on their 2021 and 2023 picks. This is the last time they have an opportunity to get an asset on their terms. And for, you know, the greater, better part of Dirk's career, we watched them futz around at that. You know, there's a reason it was a different time. The way the league valued assets, uh, you know, draft picks, whatnot is a little bit different, but, I am just of the opinion that they need to take at least one person because the the likelihood, if it's on their terms, that means that they have the intel and they believe in the player. And I, it just kind of drives me crazy when we see people say, "Oh, just the, the draft doesn't matter. The Rick Carl is not going to play a rookie." Well, I mean, you know, I don't see them doing anything in free agency, and so this this is really it's it's just kind of the the pick for me. Even if the player isn't going to be top shelf the opportunity to get someone who can play in the rotation by April, May, June is really interesting to me. I don't, I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah, I almost actually went off on Twitter about this today, but I decided to bite my tongue. I think a lot of people are really undervaluing what the 18th pick could turn into. 
And I think it's because there's a misconception that this is a weak draft. And it is a weak draft, but it's a weak draft at the top. And there are a lot of really good role players in this draft that could play valuable minutes pretty soon. And so like today, when there was the rumor that the Mavericks could trade 18 for Lou Williams, which was definitely like just smoke and it doesn't mean anything. And everyone was like, yeah, like sign me up. Like, I think we're really underestimating what this pick represents. So let's say that, let's say that the Mavericks take Bane. I think that he could realistically be in the rotation opening night and play 15 minutes, maybe. Justin yeah. Jackson played 16 minutes a game this season. I don't see why Desmond Bain can't. Mm. And then he has a very, very low salary for at least a number of years. He, he's not going to take up cap space. He's going to contribute to your team on a low budget. And the Mavericks don't have very many assets. And I think this is something our fan base kind of loses sight of when we throw these ridiculous ideas into the trade machine and think they're going to work. Like the Mavericks don't have very many assets. And so if they want to use pick 18 in a trade, I think it has to be something that puts them a tier higher in competition level. So I don't think that trading 18 for Lou Williams would make them like a conference finals level team i think it makes them right. better but i don't know how much and that's a pretty big asset like we we can trade the 2021 pick and the 2023 pick you have to be sneaky about how you do it but it's definitely doable but yep. outside of that like there aren't very many players that are gonna get you a star on the mavericks no. right now so the way you do this has to be really, really smart. And I'm really hoping that a trigger isn't pulled out of panic and something bad happens and we're screwed and we pissed off. Not going to go down that deep, dark hole right now. Right. Right. And, and there's a lot of, you know, I really wish, and, and granted you write so much for us. So, so I don't, don't take this as a writing assignment, but you pulled some great data about DeLon Wright, his last year or his last few games in Memphis. And the DeLon Wright signing was a, a abject disaster. Uh, last year's off season was a disaster. I, I, I got into it a little bit with people online today who just like to tell me that it wasn't, but it, it the Mavericks are, if they move off DeLon Wright or Justin Jackson, let me be clear, or Justin Jackson, they're not moving off both. Sorry, folks. Uh, unless Donnie is just mean and fleeces everyone half to death, which is possible. I don't know. He's done it in the past. That's why everybody's being this way about, about the draft picks. But, you know, at a certain point, I think they might have to just sort of eat these players in terms of, you know, you slide DeLon back in the rotation. He might not be a, a you know, immediate guy off the bench. He might do what he did in the playoffs, which is be like kind of a ninth man. Same for Justin Jackson. And they just sort of take up roster spots. This is this is just sort of where Dallas is. When you make signings that are multi-year commitments that also don't work, you sometimes you're just kind of, you're pigeonholed. And the Mavericks are are not in a, I don't want to say they're not in a position of strength from the trade point of view, because when you have a, a, a young MVP candidate, there's a lot you can do, but that's where this just, this draft feels so important, at least to me. And I, I I'm gathering it does to you too, because there's just not a lot of optionality moving forward. And what if you take a player who then can become an asset 
that's the other thing that kind of drives me nuts about how this is discussed is you take a guy who's really solid like Desmond Bain, then something become, you know, a player a superstar is available on the market. That's a player you can include. It's really weird how that works. And I just feel like that kind of gets tossed aside because people like the concept of draft picks until they become players. Whereas I'm very interested to see what Dallas can do with players. They made Dorian Finney-Smith a starter. That guy was terrible. And and don't let anybody tell you different. I watched him at Summer League for three years. He stunk. And then he didn't. It's really crazy how basketball works that way when development can just kick in. And I think the Mavericks are pretty good at this stuff when they care. Yeah, and you bring up a good point about like how this pick could be used as a future asset. And so maybe Donnie goes crazy and he decides to draft a guy like Tyrell Terry, who who's going to be a complete liability on defense, but <laughs> who some people think is like Steph Curry light. Yep. Yep. And he, he makes people happy in interviews. It's, it's giving that Tyrell Terry is giving me high key Mo Bamba like stuff where it's like, ah, oh, he's just shooting up the boards because he's cool. I don't know the poor guy. He wasn't even supposed to come out in the draft, so I shouldn't kill him on this. Well, this, you know, did I have anything else on my, on my lengthy list here? Um, Oh, I know. So, all right, pivoting a little bit ahead to the 2021 college season, are there any Texas Tech players that we should be keeping an eye out for? Because Tech has been building a program. Yeah, I guess it really depends on how their incoming freshman class plays. They they bring in the highest-ranked freshman class in school history. That includes a McDonald's All-American, Namari Burnett. I'm really excited to see how he plays. He's kind of a combo guard, mainly shooting guard, but he's a really nice stroke. Then they have Micah Peavy, who's a pretty good wing. He mostly lives inside. I haven't seen much from him in terms of a shot. At least that's what I've seen on the film, but who knows what happens when he gets under Chris Beard this season. And then they bring in a guy who's actually really interesting to me, who hasn't been talked at, about as a NBA draft prospect yet. And I also don't think that he was a top 100 recruit. Uh, no, I think he was. I think he was like 70 or something. And that's Chibuzo Agbo Jr., which is an awesome name. But he's also Great a really name. good basketball player. He's like this <laughs> Swiss Army knife kind of wing who can play in the post and has like an insane free throw rate. I think he averaged like nine free throws a game his senior year of high school, which is what his high school Jeez. coach told me. And he also has an incredible shot. So I guess it depends on how they play. I could see maybe one or two of them being one and dones. Then they have a junior, Kyler Edwards, who's who I could see being a really good backup point guard, maybe as like a late second round pick. Sure. I like that. That's fun. Man, I just man, I miss I miss watching I miss watching college basketball. I used to care a lot more and then it just sort of it just sort of fell off the bandwidth because the NBA has so many games and it just is, is kind of a constant grind. Well, this has been exactly what I had hoped for when uh, when I discussed uh, having you on here tonight. So I thank you for taking part of, uh, you know, what day is it? Monday. Ugh. For taking part of your Monday for, for coming out and talking to me. Is there anything else you, you desperately need to get off your chest before we uh, let you go? Nope, I don't think so. Thanks for having me on. Let's all <laughs> cross our fingers and... Wish our lucky stars for Desmond Bain to come home to us on Wednesday. That's what I'm talking about. All right, guys, this has been 
Kirk Henderson and Ryan Mainville. I'm going to post Ryan's, you know, Twitter follow. You should post him in there. Or you should follow him online, even though his 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 most recent tweet says uh, it's it's one where you pressed enter, and I don't think you realized it because all it says is like that Dallas, and then it stops. It's really incredible. Yeah, I'm making uh, fun of Shams because he tweeted <laughs> the Orlando today and like didn't include anything else and made Twitter almost break. That that is how he operates because I'm not sure if he knows how to form a sentence. Uh, like I said, this is Kirk and Ryan. We've been on uh, Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Uh, like I mentioned at every podcast, if you can go rate and review, I would really appreciate it. If you provide me feedback, tell me where we suck. Tell me what you want to hear more of. I would really appreciate it. I might not listen, but I'll do my best. Uh, we will be back to you probably a couple more times this week because there is just a lot going on in the NBA. So you guys have a good week.